if you're not able to itemize, what you may want, to, what you'd want to do is set up something called a, a donor advised fund where you pre-fund your charitable donations. back to the uh, Mortgages Made Easy podcast. We're talking to my buddy, Al Mahler. Al is a, a principal at McGonan Company. He, he's, a, uh, he's an old-time accountant. He, he really is in touch with his clients' lives, and he, he knows his clients intimately, and he's also an expert on taxation and He's just somebody who I trust tremendously. Uh, we've worked together with uh, some shared clients, and it's a pleasure to have you on the program, uh, Al. Thank you very much. Appreciate so, it. For starters, what do people need to know as they enter the 2022 tax planning for uh, this year? Well, a lot of the planning for 2022 now is behind us. Unfortunately, planning needs to be done prior to the end of the year. But uh, one of the important factors people have to start looking at um, is the, the use of their itemized deductions uh, to be able to get the most bang for their buck on them. You know, with the with the changes that took place a number of years ago, where um, taxes were limited to ten thousand dollars, and the standard deduction was increased to close to twenty eight thousand dollars, you you're getting more and fewer and fewer people are itemizing their deductions. If you don't have a mortgage, and nobody is in dire health situations, the odds are you're not itemizing because the, the threshold to get over is so large unless you're extremely charitable. Now, the charitable donations are one of the best planning uh, aspects that to, to really get some bang for, for one's buck. If you are less than 73, 73 years old and you give a, a lot to charity. If you're not able to itemize, what you may want, what you'd want to do is set up something called a, a donor advised fund where you pre-fund your charitable donations. Now, your charities are not interested in, you know, giving them three years of money up front because the following year they're going to go, oh, where's our money? And you're going to go, I gave it to you last year. Oh, well, that's last year. We need this year. So if you were to say, okay, let's say um, I give $5,000 a year to the, to AJC. And, 
And if I were instead of doing that, I put $20,000 into a donor advised fund today, I'm now in a position where I can get a tax benefit for a good portion of those charities. And then for the next three or four years, I'll pay my AJC contribution from the donor advised fund. Now you don't get an, a, a contribution in those years, but you already got the contribution. So you're ending up for the next couple of years, you go standard deduction. And the end result is you will save thousands of dollars in tax by bunching up those charities using a, um, a vehicle like a donor advised fund. Cool. That's a great I idea. just did I just did that for myself this year. I put $35,000 in in December because I was not getting enough uh, you know bang for my buck and we give quite a lot each year. And I'm I'm running up to you know against getting almost no benefit. Now suddenly I'm getting benefit and for the next 3 years or 2 years um, my charities are already funded. So I'm not using my, my current cash and I go standard deduction. Hmm. And the big items, you know, AJC, the shul, things like that are all going to be paid out of that fund. Right. That's a great And it's, it's a huge uh, benefit. Now I indicated that if you're under 73, once you get above that, you have a, another uh, thing that you can do, which is even better, which is you make your charitable donations out of your RMD from your retirement plans. Mm -hmm. Because what that will do is it will reduce your AGI, your adjusted gross income. So you're getting the full deduction for those charities. You're not losing any of it because it reduces your the income before even getting to page two of the tax return. But you have to be in the situation where you're required to take your, your RMDs. Got it. So what else? Like, what, what are people going to see uh, on their 2022 tax return that they're going to file, obviously, in 2023? Are there any surprises or are there any major changes? The the biggest, there's not a lot of, there haven't been a lot of changes on the return per se. The, there, the changes, um, they, re, they just uh, recently passed the Secure 2 Act, which is now changing the, the structure of the minimum distribution uh, uh, situation. It used to be 20, uh, 70 and a half, you have to start taking it out. Under the SECURE Act, they raised it to 72. Now it's raised to, if you're, if you're born after, uh, after uh, 51, it's now 73. And it's going to keep creeping up so that you're not having to pull money out sooner. So now, until you're 72 now, you don't have to do an RMD or required minimum distribution. Correct. Right. You now it, it, it you know I I have a client who just called me up um, 
he goes, oh, here's my 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 year end balances for the my retirement plan. How much do I have to take out? And it just happened. He's turning 72 this year. He just hit within two months that that uh, changeover. I go, your minimum distribution this year is zero. You can wait till next year. Okay, and it was a, a very pleasant surprise. You know, uh-huh. I mean, you know, the benefit obviously is the money will last longer. If you don't need it, then you know it's it'll hopefully grow further and uh, and and take you uh, you know beyond where where we are now. What other changes are there? Secure two, just so just to be clear, that's the uh, provision in the um, related to retirement accounts. And it changes in a number of ways the way that uh, people save for retirement. So what are some of the other major provisions other than putting off the the minimum? One one of the provisions, which I'm not all that keen on, is the the, um, taking your your catch-up contribution and having it have to go to um, to a Roth as opposed to um, a regu- regular, um, you know, uh, a 401k and such. Um, you know, frankly, I'd rather take the deduction as opposed to at this point, this late in, in the game, start a Roth. I mean, yes, if you were in Roths all, all along, that's fine. But once you're already, you know, beyond 50, and you can start to put in more. Now, yes, they've increased the amount you can put in, but it is, you know, from a, for a 401k, it, it's they're requiring that to go into a Roth type where you're not getting a deduction for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that depending on how people look at it, it's, it's a, either good or bad. I'm not a big fan that late in, you know, in the game. Now we were talking uh, in the, as we were as we were preparing for this about electric vehicles, and you mm-hmm. were telling me something very interesting because the I guess the new legislation will give people a one-time credit if they buy the right kind of electrical vehicle. Right, so, and that and the, the the code section lists the different cars, what qualifies and what doesn't. And one of the big changes are the batteries in these electric cars have to be made in America, which cuts out a lot of cars that used to qualify. So Tesla's good, but Hyundai's right. not. And what's interesting about the, the Tesla is under the old provision, the Tesla wasn't good because there was a cap on how many vehicles you can sell before you're no longer allowed it. And Tesla had already hit the top of that. So their vehicles didn't qualify under the old scheme. Now suddenly they do because the batteries are made here. Mm. But the the interesting thing is there is an income threshold. Um, I I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the for a married couple, the income threshold is three hundred thousand. And unlike the way most thresholds there been in the past, like deductible IRAs and whatnot, where once you hit that limit, you start to um, 
vapor off. phases out. This is what they call a cliff. At 300,000, nothing. So you, you, if you think you're going to be close to that and you're thinking about going, to, uh, going for an electric vehicle in 2023, there's some planning to be done where you, you might be able to qualify if you do things differently. Um, if, if you have a 401k at work, and you were using a Roth 401k. If you switch it to a traditional 401k, that will lower your, your AGI, your adjusted gross income, which could make the difference between getting this credit and not. So you're, what you're advising is someone who's in, let's, let's call it a higher income bracket, to scrutinize their income and to come up with a plan before they buy the vehicle get all the facts and really understand should they be using an I, uh, a traditional 401k to reduce their income or what other strategies they can use to make sure they qualify. Right. And it, it's something you need to do early because you can't undo it. You can't say in December, oh, I want to go buy this. What should, can I do? And you're at 310,000. It's like, no, mm -hmm. it doesn't help. doesn't work. Um, um, now, I have, um, now you, were telling, I, you were telling us about charitable deductions. So if you made a charitable deduction, would that, would that count or is that a different? No, it's, it's adjusted gross that they look at, not taxable income. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it, you, you can't do it with deductions. It has to be with something that's on page one of the return, if you will. Hmm. Okay. 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 If you're self-employed, um, you know, the Keogh contribution can help, but, um, the, um, you know, a, um, what you call it, a, um, the medical, a, uh, HSA can also help if you qualify for that, but, um, cause that, re that reduces your AGI. And that's the number they're going to look at. Interesting. Um, now, you and I have spoken about this in the past. You've got a little bit of a specialization in, in uh, people who are working overseas. How do, tell us a little bit about that. If, if... Well, um, I have a number of clients whose, whose children because they're in that, they're able to, the parents were able to make these things available, have gone overseas to work for um, tax exempt organizations, for just, um, just you know, foreign entities. Um, I have my own son who went to college in England and never came home. Um, and there is a, um, there are, tax impl impl implications of this that people don't, don't realize. Um, the United States is one of the few countries where you're taxed on your worldwide income. It doesn't matter if you're not living here anymore. If you're a US citizen, if you're a US person, you're gonna be taxed on that, that income earned anywhere. You will get certain offsets 
if that income is also taxed in a foreign country, you'll be able to offset uh, your federal tax with your foreign taxes paid. If you're working for an, uh, a foreign employer, um, and there are, there are strict rules for this, if you're a, a bona fide non-resident, you know, basically a, a foreign a resident working overseas, you can exclude uh, around $100,000 of your income from your US uh, taxable income. And there's kind of a, a give and take between the earned income exclusion and the foreign tax cre uh, credit and which, you know, which one works best for you. You can't quite get, can't get them both. Um, but people don't realize that unless they give up their U.S. citizenship, they are still subject to U.S. tax. I have a client right now who is in the process, who has, has applied to give up their U.S. citizenship. And because they're not of substantial wealth, there's not going to be something they call an exit tax. But if, you're, if your assets are more than $2 million, then there is a, an exit tax, basically. They, they don't let you just take your money and run. You're going to have to figure out how much the tax would be at that point and pay that to be able to leave and no longer be subject to uh, U.S. taxation. You know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is the intersection of your world and my world. What I mean by that is, you know, for an accountant to do a great job, they minimize someone's income, and therefore minimize their taxes. When I see that client, I want their income to be higher because <laughs> the low income means that they may not qualify for a mortgage. Um, you know, and what's what's happening now is that that um, lenders are engineering products for different kinds of people. So, for example. Um, well, let's start with that exact case. If you have a client who, let's say, is a self-employed client, and not that you know anyone who minimizes their income for tax reporting purposes, but he, they may have a, they may have a business that generates, I don't know, say twenty-five thousand dollars a month of sales, so three hundred thousand dollars a month of revenue. They may not be reporting significant income. We have programs where, let's say, they can use, depending on the nature of their business, 50% or more of their gross revenue would be treated as income, and they would qualify for a mortgage on that basis. So that might be the kind of thing that is applicable for some clients. Um, is that the kind of thing you ever see? Our, our typical client is uh, usually of a, a, a higher income, higher net worth. So while, yes, they still have mortgages. I mean, I've, 
I have I have a client with a $10 million mortgage, mostly non-deductible, but he does have that. Um, but you know, they they still they still have mortgages, but their income is sufficient to be able to uh, justify them. Um, a lot of these, you know, vehicles out there. I mean, you know, I am leery when when a client comes to me and says, "I don't want to show, you know, income." It's like I want to keep my license. So it's, you know, a back and forth here, you know? Well, but, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of a particular year, you know, because let's say, look, legitimately, someone may buy a new facility and have a lot of startup expenses. So they have mm -hmm. a great year in terms of revenue, but their expenses are high in a particular year, and that's the year they're buying a home. You know, we get all sorts of things. I wasn't necessarily saying someone's being fraudulent, but um, we get all sorts of things where a particular year is, uh, look, the last couple of years with COVID, a lot of years had, a lot of people had business disruption. That mm -hmm. was atypical, but nevertheless um, uh, reflected back on their ability to get a mortgage. What about seniors? Um, we're getting a lot of interest now in reverse mortgages. And just to explain myself, um, reverse mortgages, in my mind, are a great tool for a senior whose children don't need the inheritance. Mm -hmm. And if you take, let's say, someone who's 70 or 75, they may still have a mortgage payment. And that person is may have a shortfall you know, with their... Um, 401k and whatever else, but uh, if they have to pay a mortgage and they're maybe they're getting a small social security. So often it's not necessarily your client who, as you said, are typically more affluent, but maybe the parents of your client or the, mm -hmm. the relatives. It, we, we, I become a big believer in reverse mortgages because it, it's a vehicle that helps people um, get over the hump. It, it used to be kind of the wild, wild west of mortgages, and it has gotten much more regulated, um, which, you know, is a good thing. And I've seen a number of situations where people want to stay in their home and they have to understand that it's going to mean that that's, that much less goes to the kids, but Hey, they want to be able to, you know, live to maintain their lifestyle. Um, and you're you're absolutely right. If they're not worried about leaving what they leave behind, it can be a very you know valuable tool. You've got people who pay twenty five thousand dollars for a home that now has a value of, you know, nine hundred a million dollars. If they sold it and moved to, you know. Assisted living, they get hit with a tremendous um, uh, a tax bite because you can only exclude half a million dollars for a married couple. And if it's a single person, it's only a quarter of a million dollars. And the rest is going to be treated as a long-term capital gain. Um, that eats up a lot of those proceeds. Um, 
the the money from a uh, from a uh, a reverse mortgage is is tax free money, and it's basically getting the, getting it up front, um, and the structure of those are are such that they're not you're not going to lose your house, which is what a lot of people are concerned about, um, because that you that was going on. There was you know. A, a, you know, terrible abuse when if when the idea first came out of the reverse mortgages. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and now there's there they they do make a lot of sense for the right people. Mm. Um, you know, again, the cost of long-term care, um, if you can use that money to be able to stay in your house, even you know, and then use that to be able to pay for caregivers or for someone so that you're in your own home it may it means a lot to people yeah hey al what's your superpower what is my superpower yeah, what do you do what are you better than almost anybody else hmm multitasking I mean, if you saw my office, I have four screens on my desk, okay? Two of which are widescreen 34 inch curved monitors, okay? Working off of two separate computers and I've got stuff going on all of them. And while it sounds insane, um, you're able to use multiple programs to work more efficiently. And, you know, in our current environment where it's becoming harder and harder to find qualified staff, you have to find ways of being more productive, more efficient. And being able to multitask is a nice, a nice way. I mean, I've I've gotten to the you know to the situation. I have clients who um, have thousands of stock transactions, and the government does not want to see see attached. And you send in a a scan of their brokerage statement. They want the information in their return because they don't see those attachments unless you're audited. But we have ways of being able to take that information and download it into the tax return in detail, not just you know one line, and give the government what they need. Yet you're not sitting here for three days entering data in. Mm. And these are these are all ways of of being more efficient in what you're trying to accomplish, and therefore serving your client better. Correct. You, you spoke of your son in England before. What are, you, what are your passions? My grandchildren at this point. I have, I have my first grandchild uh, in, um, in August. And number two is due uh, in early April because my son, my, that son has no regard for my profession. <laughs> uh, when he told me that his 
that the baby's due on April 9th. I told him, no problem. Can you file an extension? <laughs> just call her, just call her Iris. Yeah, right. But uh, but right now it's it it's really the my family. I mean, I don't have I have three children, uh, the closest of which is 70 miles away in Connecticut. Um, the others are in Phoenix and London. And I've as I you know as I wind down and you know professionally. I want to be able to take time and travel whenever I do. I enjoy what I do. I mean, I've been doing this now for 42 years, and I've never had the attitude of, oh, I got to go to the office. I love what I do. I love dealing with the clients, even though they can be frustrating at times. But the first four months of the year, I'm working seven days a week. Okay. And I'm not working the kind of hours we used to, but I'm still, it's seven days a week. But the rest of the year, if I want to take time off, I'm able to go see my family. We're going to Phoenix for Rosh Hashanah this year because um, my, my son and daughter-in-law invited both us and my other son out for the holidays. Mm. And it's, it's something that we can just, if we want to go, we go. And to me, that's, a wonderful thing to be able to do. Al, what's your perfect client? Who's your perfect client? My perfect client is somebody who is organized, who can follow directions of getting me information at a, you know, uh, on a timely basis, and one who follows the advice you give them. There's nothing worse than the client who calls up at the end of the year. He goes, yeah, I sold that, that building, that rental building that I had. Um, I was thinking about doing a, a tax-free exchange, but I didn't want to bother you. It's like, I can't undo it now. There are very strict guidelines to follow. And my clients need to know if there's something comes up, you call. I'll never say, oh, don't, don't bother me now. You know, I tried, it's a, this is a service business and you have to be willing to serve. Mm. What's my worst client? The client who you tell them what to do and they come in the following year and I say, did you make your estimates? No, I didn't. Oh God. You know, it's costing you hundreds or thousands of dollars because you didn't pay the estimates. I told you you needed to do that. Yeah, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to give the government the money in advance. Did you earn as much as it's going to cost you? <laughs> no, but this that that to me is a frustrating client. <laughs> it's also, a game. You got to beat the IRS. Also, the client that comes in uh, in the second week in April. That's a that's a, a frustrating client. I mean, to me, my best, my, my best clients will refer me to other good clients because they know what I'm looking to do and how we do things. And they'll say, oh, you, you need an accountant? This, is, this guy is, you know, terrific. That's to me, you know, the, the, the best client, the best way 
of of uh, new business is taking care of your old business. And and you do that. I know I've spoken to your clients, uh, and they praise you. You know, uh, just they they just have said amazing things. They trust you implicitly, and that's really the biggest testament. We've had the privilege of sitting here with Al Mahler, who is a principal at McGon and Company. He is a brilliant accountant. He's a guy who understands the codes, but he also understands the people. And if you need an accountant and you're in northern New Jersey, I can't speak. I can't think of anyone I'd refer you to more than Al Mahler. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that.